When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Yotam Ben-Horan, bassist and lead vocalist for the Haifa Israel punk rock band, Useless ID. Together, we break down the fan-favorite song, State of Fear, taken from their 2005 album, Redemption. Yotam mentioned that State of Fear was the band's first stab at a political lyric, inspired by a suggestion from NoFX's Fat Mike to write about what goes on in the everyday life of Israelis. The song is one of the catchiest slabs of melodic punk rock I've ever heard. And it's this lyric that really drives home the urgency of the track. Yotam credits producer Bill Stevenson with really pushing him vocally while in the studio, something that he feels made him the great singer that he is today. We talked about the grooves in this song, and I was not at all surprised to learn that the drummer on this track came from a metal background. You can really hear it in the performance, and it's something I feel sets the track apart from some of the band's contemporaries. And the harmonies at the end of this tune are absolutely unique and haunting. A perfect way to tie up this song. For all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Yo, Tom, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm fantastic. I understand you're in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Yes, I am. But I'll be headed to the West Coast soon, so I'm kind of like bu- jumping around <laughs> at the moment. That's cool. What, what's going on in Philly? Uh, I have a brother and a father that moved here three years ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly, three years ago. And uh, yeah, they, they have like their whole thing going with the... They're doing a house flipping. But uh, yeah, just came for a visit. That's awesome. So they're, they're swinging sledgehammers, you're, you're slinging guitars. That's exactly. <laughs> right on, man. Well, uh, am I pronouncing it right? Is it, is it Haifa, Israel? Yeah, Haifa, Israel. Haifa. You guys are from, uh, from Haifa, and the uh, band started in 94, eight full albums total. And the song we're going to talk about today is State of Fear, which was from a record you released uh, on Kung Fu Records called Redemption in 2005. And I got a couple questions about this track I wanted to, to talk to you about. When you had recorded it, because I'm assuming you uh, you recorded this in probably 2004 because it originally was on the Fat Records compilation Rock Against Bush Volume 2. So this was recorded for the album Redemption, but you went ahead and put it on the comp, correct? Yeah, at the time, uh, Fat Mike was doing that whole uh, thing, uh, the whole Rock Against Bush thing, 
and uh, he wanted an exclusive song and Kung Fu. I mean, we we recorded the album, but so we had all the songs already with the purpose of uh, releasing. But but Kung Fu were cool enough to just say, uh, yeah, yeah, you should go ahead and uh, give this song to Mike. And so Mike showed the state of fear to the world first, and uh, then it was uh, released. Which is interesting because. You know, when you guys were doing the record, did you know, or, or did Bill Stevenson, who produced the record, anybody in the band know, or, or did he know that this song uh, had a chance to be a song you guys were known for? Not really. We actually came in with only 12 songs. It was, uh, it was a weird time. Like, there was, that's what I wanted to uh, speak to you about. It was a weird time in Israel as well. Like, the, the year 2003 was just terrible as far as uh, suicide bombings and terrorist attacks. And half the time you're living in that world where you're kind of like, uh, am I going to be alive today? Like, uh, is it okay to go out? And then along with that, we're writing songs for, for a follow-up record. So <laughs> Right. So, yeah, so uh, we uh, pretty much like a month before we came to the Blasting Room, we wrote five more songs and State of Fear was one of them and it didn't even have lyrics. I just knew, I just knew the structure of it. So it was like another one of those songs where we're like, ah, we'll figure it out at the studio. We, we have this thing going in the band where we sit around the table and just start throwing lyrics if I don't come in with anything, you know? Well, I got to tell you, this song's a ripper. It's one of the catchiest uh, melodic punk rock songs I've ever heard. Oh, it's, thank it's you. It's awesome. And, you know, usually bands, you got to remember, 2004, 2005, bands were still selling CDs. Yeah. And it's surprising that Kung Fu let this go on a comp. Because usually when, you know, when you put songs on a comp, you're going to give them a B-side. Or you're going to give them a, a live track or something. They always want an exclusive song, but you're not going to give them the meat and potatoes, the single or something. That's why I had asked if, if you knew this song was going to be something or if you do give them a, a a single or you give them one of the more popular songs you give it to a copy year after the record's out because yeah you know kung fu i'm sure wanted to, wanted to sell albums so this this was interesting to me that's why i wanted to bring it up yeah we we've always had this kind of like connection uh with fat mike and fat records and no effects uh pre like pretty much before i started touring with the band they met up uh fat mike at one of those clubs in uh in San Francisco. Bottom of the hill, Slim. Yeah, 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 bottom of the hill. I think they gave him a demo tape. And then like this uh, connection starting and Mike uh, uh, always throughout the years, he's like, you guys have to sing about what's going on in Israel. You can't just sing about your your feelings. And, you know, and I, I, I was in influenced by the pop punk of the time. So I was singing about like personal stuff. But uh, this was like the first time we kind of like uh, scratched the surface with uh, politics. And when we let Mike hear it, he's, he's like, that's the song. I want that song. Not to take anything away from you guys. You guys are super hardworking. You know, we, less than Jake, met you way yep. back. I, I think it was the European Warp Tour in like 99 or 2000 or something like that. Uh, in 2000, we, we had a few shows, I think, with the Vandals and the Ataris. Right. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the, oh, I, remember, I remember playing Italy with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was that. Yeah. Exactly. So I think we were a few shows in the States and then uh, some European stuff. We definitely did some stuff together. Right. And I, Again, not to take anything away from you guys, but I feel like being on that Rock Against Bush comp, that thing was massive. Yeah. And I, I think that that, uh, that did nothing but help your cause, and that's you know quite possibly why State of Fear is one of your most popular songs. Yeah, it helped for everyone's cause, because uh, the thing uh, we were thinking about while writing the lyrics, that this can't be like a one-sided thing. It can't be we're from Israel and we're showing how bad it, you know, we're, we tried to so, show both sides so anyone can relate to it because there's just, there's bombs going off all over the place. There's bombs going off in Gaza. There's bombs going off in Israel. People are attacking people. I think that that's like the thing that hooked 
probably our, our audience and uh, the audience that we were exposed to through Rock Against Bush to that song. So you said you had the music before you had had the subject matter of it. But when Mike, you know, Mike had asked you to you know, write about what was going on and you put pen to paper and, and these lyrics are just striking. Talk a little bit about what that's like for the listeners of, of what people feel on a daily basis having, as you said, to, to, to wake up in fear for your life. Yeah, I, I have many American friends that ask me this same question. And it's like, think about it this way. If you're taking a bus somewhere, just somewhere random. So you're always looking at, uh, this is like an instinct that you have in Israel. It's just like second nature. You don't really uh, think about it. But when I tell it to other people, like you go on a bus, you look at every person that's on the bus and you see if anyone kind of looks sketchy, if anyone's kind of like, you know, shaking or like intimidated, you kind of look for signs. Well, I I try not to travel by buses, uh, you know, if I don't have to, but uh, that's just, just something that's like in the back of your mind. And uh, with with state of fear, like a year a year before that, uh, I'm sure you know Frenzel Ram. Absolutely, uh, yeah, label mates. They came to Israel. We did a few shows with them, and uh, at the at the show in Haifa, there was this one girl that was in the front row, just jumping and you know singing our lyrics. She was like a big Yusuf ID fan. And uh, a few days later, there was a suicide bombing, like in Haifa, and sadly, she was on that bus. And uh, she passed away. So, oh. so that kind, yeah, you, you never think it's gonna hit home so so closely, but when it does, it kind of throws you off. So, I I think we all had that in our minds when uh, we wrote down "State of Fear" and "Explosion" right outside my door, because it could it could either be that or it could be either be on the other side of things. You know what I mean? What is this like being a world traveler and being in punk rock, where? You know, when everybody got into punk rock, one of the first things that I learned was that everyone's equal, that we treat everyone with respect. We go out on the road and, and there's there's no borders, there's no boundaries. And yet there are borders and there are boundaries in this world. That's just the fact of it. And I'm sure you've gotten letters from fans across your border, you know, pet Palestinian fans. Yeah. That, that just want to be your friend. And that, that's got to be uh, heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. That's the biggest beautiful thing in punk rock that's why i love punk rock so much it's because once you cross the line and you're in a show and you're at a concert or uh, you're with the band everyone is equal there's no you know there's no bullshit people of all uh, race and color and uh, every everyone's welcome and everyone acts like one big family we've of course we've had a few times uh, during the years where you have like one smart ass in the crowd starting to like heckle you and scream stuff and but you know, every time we answered back, and uh, we never answered, you know, like in a harsh way. We just explained the situation, and you get a round of applause from everyone else because they know the truth. You know, punk rock, smart people. <laughs> right, and you know, you said this song was one of the last five you wrote for the record. Yeah. What did Bill Stevenson think of it when you brought it to him? All right, so this was the first time we were recording uh, with Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore. Was uh, you know we just uh, high and like just uh, starstruck <laughs> in our own punk rock way. Right, you know how it is. Uh, first time meeting Bill, so it's like oh my god, he played in Black Flag and Descendants and all. But uh, so we were just kind of going going along with it. We we left it to Bill. We we didn't. Uh, there there wasn't any special treatment to the song. It was just like another one of the songs that. Uh, that we had and we recorded but i do remember that we did have like while the music was almost done and recorded we were still fiddling with the lyrics and uh I- ishai 
So he came up with the second line. Like, I, I, I had state of fear and explosion right outside my door. Well, so he says, well, it seems there's a lot of profit to be made from war. And we're like, all right, let's go next. You know, kind of like that. Yeah, so I think because we didn't have the lyric, lyrical idea, I knew that the chorus would be the whole whoa, whoa thing because we never had a song like that. And we were like, let's make this somewhat anthemic. So once we had the lyric, that, that's when the song kind of took shape, took more shape. Well, this song, the, the arrangement's killer. I can't wait till we get into it. it. It it takes you on so many twists and turns with the groove of this thing. It goes through a lot of different different grooves, yeah. but they all mesh together so well. You know, the song's three minutes and 12 seconds, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels way, way shorter to me. When I, 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 Even on repeated listens, it, sound, it sounds shorter. And, you know, you're in the studio and, and you're tracking this with Bill. Had you had time to demo it at all? even like on a voice recorder or anything. Yeah, well, uh, now I use Logic Pro for these home demos. Back then, I think it was either uh, Nuendo or Cubase or one of those things. I didn't really know how to program drums or, and I didn't bother recording bass, even though I am the bass player in the band. So I would record <laughs> like two, two tracks of, uh, of, of the rhythm and like one uh, track in the middle playing like uh, octaves or whatever, like a middle part. And uh, yeah, so that, that's what I had. Normally, I would have a vocal to go along with, and then I would do harmonies. Do you recall if the structure and arrangement of the demo was what you ended up recording with Bill? Yeah, it was. It was. Okay, so there wasn't too much, too much change in parts around. No. Okay, okay. Because, I, as a, again, I think it's perfect. And if you're able to share the demos, I know the listeners would love to hear it. Yeah, I, I, I think I have it, but it's only a guitar and uh, it's only two guitars. Going back to your other question, we did do a like kind of like a pre-production. Bill wanted us to go in like the first day and just go through the songs and then have me record vocals on them. So we did a live thing so we could listen back and listen with Bill in the kitchen, as you know, and kind of yeah. like take notes. So yeah, so State of Fear was was an instrumental even then. We, we still didn't have the lyrics. It was just like, we know we want to record this song because we, ha- we had a feeling that it would probably be one of like the most... Uh, I don't know, most important ones of the album, and it, and it was. You know, you brought up something we've never talked about on the show just now, and it's, I'm so glad that you did. I can't believe What did I do? <laughs> you, you brought up that Bill had you go in and kind of just take a, a, a full pass of the song, and I've had yeah. producers do that because there's some magic when you're not thinking about it. You know, yeah. it's kind of like the demo where you get demoitis and you're like, there's a part in a demo that you, you or the band is like, this part can't change. It's perfect the, the way that it is. And, you know, there's been times that I went into the vocal booth and done that and we've ended up keeping lines from that take or, you know, or not so much kept lines, but went back and went, hey, the way you did that melody or you enunciated that word there, I want you to do it again. You know, it's a really good point. Yeah. So yeah, one one of the songs actually uh, a, a different song on uh, State of Fear. I actually lifted the way I sang on a demo, and and we put it into the actual recording because I liked my voice better. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, again, the song is three minutes and twelve seconds, and I want to jump into this bad boy, yo, Tom. Let's go. All right. So uh, it starts off with a guitar panned off left for two bars. On the third bar, there's an open hi hat that happens, followed by stereo guitars. Octave guitars, bass, and drums coming in for another eight bars, leading into verse one. And man, this part is driving. 
right when verse one begins, we come in with a, and uh, this is in my notes, Yotam, dun, dun, dun. And that's the drums and the whole band hitting on yeah. State of Fear, an explosion right outside my door. Well, it seems there's a lot of profit to be made from war. And I'm breaking this down in a way, I don't know if you, what you're considering the verse and, and if there's a pre-chorus, but uh, this is verse one, and I want to have you break down these lyrics real quick. That was kind of like the catalyst for this uh this song to kind of give uh, the outsider a glimpse of what it's like uh, living in Israel. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you were born, what religion you are, just living in this uh, small place that causes so many world problems. <laughs> <laughs> so I may have had that line when I was kind of like just humming to myself. I was like, you know, one of those things. And you said prior to this, you know, most, I mean, I, I listened to your stuff, but this was kind of the first political thing. Why do you think you didn't uh, uh, go into this uh, before Mike had mentioned it? As a songwriter, I don't consider myself such a political person. I, I don't sit around and watch the news and I'm not like fully invested in that. Like I have other things in, in my head and other things that interest me more. I know, I know, I know the world's messed up. I know Israel's messed up. I know, but I, I don't want to put my energy there. I see what what it does to people. You, you're just uh, anxious the whole time. You're just mad, and you're so. I, I'm guessing like uh, uh, me from that many years ago. I just wasn't. That wasn't my thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I come from the the songwriter's songwriting. <laughs> and I can completely relate to that. My band has never been political. We've always been about, you know, having a good time. For, you know, leave your problems at the door. Forget about it. Pretty much everything you just said. But I got to tell you, Yotam, this song, it to me, it, it's, it's the embodiment of everything. But this lyric, it had to be this. It hit so hard. It, it had to be this lyric. If, and Yeah, if this was about Saturday night, hanging out, partying with yeah. your friends, whatever, it, it wouldn't have the same impact. And I think that's the... That's the beauty of uh, us and Useless ID working together because one of the guys is guy. He is very political. He is he he knows everything that's going on. He's very outspoken about it. He and uh, yeah, he he's the guy for that stuff. So we all got together and we wrote this song. We we felt that uh, we're obligated to to dive into this. You know, there's a couple things I love here in verse one. Uh, state of fear. That's that dun 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 that happens, and then an explosion is hanging out over the guitars it's just a vocal and then that classic i'm calling it the classic punk rock fat records beat comes in on the word right and it's just it's just pummeling you on the second line on lot of profit the octaves here are mimicking the melody yeah it's super cool just for that one little part how how did that come about was that in the studio bill suggested it you guys thought of that because it, it's awesome i have a feeling that that's kind of like my love for the pixies the pixies always always do that type of thing where you, you have uh, frank black black francis you have him singing something and then joey santiago's kind of doubling him with with a guitar in like a quirky way so i i always took from that outside world of punk uh, influences into useless ID. So I have a feeling that that's like one of those situations where it's like, -na 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 -na, you know, like kind of like, let's push that. So I, I'm not sure that was a Bill Fink. In almost however many hundred Less Than Jake songs, I've never done that, and I'm going to steal it from you. Please do. And if someone asks me, I'm going to say, I'm going to steal it from you who stole it from the Pixies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do, because uh, who knows? I, I think we probably lifted some stuff from you guys over the years, no, so that's it's, fine. It's so cool. It's just like 
three or four notes, but it's just, it's so effective what that does. It does does something. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. This next part, yo, Tom, I'm calling it the pre-chorus, but this is like a chorus in itself. It is so catchy, this next part. What would you call this? An extension of verse one? In my head, it's a pre-chorus. Okay. That's what I'm calling it, too. We, we're, yeah. we're, all, we're already agreeing. I like this. This is yeah. good stuff. <laughs> when we all know the answers, what question remains? How did we end up this way? When we all know the answers, one question remains. How did we end up this way? You look at people just used to this hatred years and years and years and it never goes away here here we are sitting almost 20 years later and it's pretty much the same situation over there the same world problems well it's 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 a religious war i don't know if if you can ever solve that i feel like no no one wants to get their heads out of their asses about it like everyone's so stuck on their own religion and stuck on their own belief in in gods and different gods and i think we could all really get along if we kind of like step away from that we don't Mm -hmm. have to do that you know what i mean there's there's some wonderful people in this life i've always said that i said that there's way more good people than there is bad yeah that's why i I didn't say the majority because i i have a feeling it's not the majority the majority there's many great people in this world and many great people uh you know in our uh world of punk rock that I, I wish we would have a bigger influence on the whole thing. Well, in this uh, pre-chorus, we get a harmony on the how did we end up this way, but I'm calling it the Cincinnati harmony. And the Cincinnati <laughs> harmony, I think that my bass player, Roger, made that up. Uh, he was recording this band, or maybe Matt made it up, our drummer. There's a band from Cincinnati called The Dopamines, and The Dopamines do these harmonies where they're in unison, but there's also harmonies within certain words. So yeah. that's what that's what's happening here. It's, it's kind of unison, but there is harmonies there. How did we end up this way? Was this worked out that way, or was it by accident? So that's a Bill thing right there. Ah. Uh, that That's what Bill calls the Unabomber, because <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you, when you do a harmony and then you kind of meet, meet up, so the instinct is to change it, to keep going the harmonies. Bill like, no, no, you're doing the Unabomber. Let's leave it. Because sometimes it just works. It pushes out the, the vocal melody better than it where you'd have like a, a harmony underneath it. So that's Bill's credit right there. Did you ever say, hey, hey, Bill, it's a little sensitive saying Unabomber here with us. You know where we're from, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, actually not, but I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> well, uh, that's really cool, though, that he picked up on that. He's like, no, run with it, because I love that. I think it's great. I don't think there needs yeah. to be an exact harmony on each word. I, I, think it's, I think it's perfect how that is. Right here at the end of How Do We End Up This Way, there's a dun-dun-dun-dun with octaves, the whole band. And it's, the octaves are, are, are pretty prevalent there. That leads us right into verse two. And there's another hit of the full band, a dun, and then scream out loud. And then you get a big whoa-oh backing vocal. Yeah. Scream out loud. Whoa. Let yourself be heard. out loud let yourself be heard the cycle is never ending there is a lesson 
to be learned. And on this first line here, uh, before you set up the lyrics, Joe Tom, it sounds like this line is actually doubled vocally there. Just that one line. Do you recall? Yeah, once again, it's probably Bill's thing because Bill would have me sing uh, a lot of takes back then. A bit lesser takes now because uh, I've become a better singer, or, or I'd like to think. But that was my first time at the blasting room getting my ass kicked. Uh-huh. So I think uh, when when Bill gets a very good vocal take, he doesn't stop there. He wants to get another vocal take. And, and then so he may use uh, some words that he wants to highlight. So that was one of probably one of those situations because I don't think I intentionally doubled it. But I think... Uh, probably bill was thinking i think this uh this should go go out a bit more right and and you know why you're a better singer now to what you just admitted and it's you got your ass kicked you know i can't tell you times yeah i can't tell you how many times i had mine handed to me in the studio and i've had producers i'm not tooting my own horn that have told me and i'm not talking about my voice as some angelic or i got a great voice but as a performer in the studio, I'm, I'm one of the best they work with because I learned. I mean, I got my rear end handed to me on numerous occasions. And you learn yep. to get in. You learn to sing in time. Behind the beat, you start to learn all these little things that you never heard before. Yes, exactly. And, and Bill's no slouch. No, no. Bill, even even the last record we did, he still had me singing and I, I still get these like crazy headaches at some point. I don't know if you get them, but I just get these gnarly headaches and then I try to sing through that. So you, you sing as much as you can or scream or whatever it is. And the second you stop, you feel like, boom, like the head, it hits you so hard. <laughs> you, you know, you're kind of like on the floor and then you take a break and then... You, uh, your your head is kind of like chilled out from that, but once you hit hit that nerve again, it just ah. Oh, recording at the blasting room. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Yotam Ben Horan after a few words from our sponsors. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the show couple things here uh well first of all i want you to set up these lyrics if you can for us i'll I'll read them again scream out loud let yourself be heard the cycle is never ending there's a lesson to be learned yeah so the scream out loud part obviously that's to get everyone involved also musically like the the way the whole uh music is set up scream out loud whoa so i have a feeling we kind of knew that if we would put that out like scream out loud whoa so live it would work great we had we had this thing that let's write an album that live would really work, that we'd have fun playing these songs live. So that was the intention behind that line. I love songs that just things happen once. That whoa part never happens again. In fact, what I found was super interesting is verse two here, that we don't get another verse in this song. This is it. (laughs) 
Which is strange because we're because we're only at like forty three seconds in the song right now, and you don't get another verse. Yeah, that that's a weird weird song, weird structure. I probably we probably wouldn't have written it this way if it was now. You know, now that we we know some more. Tri- <laughs> I don't even know if to call it tricks, like, but you know, we have like a certain way of writing songs. But yeah, this one was uh, we kind of let the feel and music kind of lead it and i have to mention that one of the big uh influences for this song is another band from israel called man alive that we were always influenced by each other since we met them in like 1999 so they would write like an album we'd have kind of like a beatles beach boys going on at a much smaller (laughs) level and and then punk rock (laughs) but yeah and those guys are friends of ours until today but so yeah, it was one of those things. They brought a few of those songs. They have this song on one of their albums called uh, IRL. It's raining lies. So you could totally hear State of Fear kind of like uh, mimicking some of that, but then we made it into our own thing. So I just wanted to mention that, give them some props. Yeah, one other thing in verse two that is that is awesome, Yotam, is again, we get those octaves mimicking the melody on ending, there's a. And then we get into pre-chorus two, which this is interesting because this is a double pre-chorus. The only time this happens in the song. Yeah. When we all know the answers, one question remains. How did we end up this way? When conviction will break them apart. How did we end up this way? When we all know the answers. One question remains. How did we end up this way? The second half, the lyric changes. When conviction will break them apart, how did we end up this way? Uh, The melody on the first time, how do we end up this way? The melody changes there. The backing vocals right after that say, I'm waiting for the day. And it's super gruff. It's almost like this hardcore scream comes out of nowhere there. Whose idea was that? That's Guy. I don't know if it was his idea, but that's him screaming over there. As far as the, all right, I'm sure you know this, like when, when you're just writing a song and you're just kind of like fiddling with the lyrics, singing gibberish lyrics or whatever, I had the word conviction in there. I, I didn't want to like second guess it. So we just left it in. <laughs> there wasn't any thought about that line. Did you know you wanted this to be a double pre-chorus though here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. M- musically, I, we kind of went with the with the feel of it. Uh, y- you know how it is. Uh, yeah. You're writing a chorus. Sometimes you in- intuitively feel that, you want the the next one to be more like the third one to be a double or or whatever. So it was one of these things. But but this is not even the chorus. This is like a pre-chorus, double right, pre-chorus. Right. But again, I I said earlier, this is like a chorus in itself. Yeah. It's so catchy and it's so anthemic and uplifting and just the way that it's uh, the way that it's presented and the way you guys recorded it. It's it's like a core. It's like you get two choruses in this song. It's awesome. Well, again, that second line. How do we end up this way? The melody changes there, and then. On the second half here, uh, on the line you were just speaking of, when conviction will break them apart, the octave guitars come in there. And I think it's awesome. And then the last 
line, how did we end up this way? Again, you're getting those unison and harmonies within there. It's it's the same yeah. it's the same one that time, which, which I think is great. The band stops on the word way, and then there's in my notes I wrote it's a cracka cracka on the drums, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that takes us into chorus number one. to be a part of it anyway i wasn't made to serve you anyway with our hands held tight no we're not going anywhere with our hands held tight no we're not going anywhere that's uh just taking a stand for what we believe in and uh eventually uh, what it means that we believe in uh, peace between people and we believe in people getting along with people and not fighting over territories and not fighting over countries so this is our uh, little uh, musical stand against it. And uh, join us and be a part of it. Be a part of what, what we're talking about. Like, uh, I don't want to be a part of it anyway, is what, what what's happening outside of our little world, you know? Yeah, I, I love the lyric here. I can feel the solidarity and what you're going for. I also love that this chorus is the intro progression. And it's halftime here, the feel of this. And as I said at the top, it's just driving. And the octaves are in on the chorus. After each line, you get the backing vocal. It's a gang vocal of whoa, oh, 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 that happens. On lines one and three, it's the same last backing vocal note. But on the second line, it's a different note that happens, which is awesome. Again, those little things that just kind of shift your ear as you're listening. It's not cookie cutter, copy and paste. It's it's different. And on the last line, there's a different note for the word O uh, that that gang vocal's happening before we get into the solo. Was that all worked out in the studio with Bill? Many times since... I, I, I don't know how to read music. I, I use my instinct with music, and I, I know many of us do. Sure. So many of the times I would sing like a, a wrong harmony, that, uh, but it made sense musically in some way. It just Or it sounds good to my ears, but I don't know to tell you if it's a seventh or a ninth or a <laughs> sus. <laughs> Sometimes I do. So I think it may have been one of those situations where I kind of came in with an idea and Bill's like, oh, so you want to go for that thing? I know what you want to do. And he kind of sharpened my idea <laughs> in, into that, what you're hearing. You're making me laugh, uh, Yotam, because I've been there in the studio before. And it's usually me and our bass player. I'll be in the vocal booth. He'll be trying to get me to do some harmony. And, I'm, and I keep singing the wrong harmony. And he's banging on the piano key. It's this, Chris. It's this. It's yeah. this. And finally, the only one classically trained that can read music in our band is our sax player, JR. And finally, he swivels around in his seat one day and looks at Roger and goes, dude, it's a seventh over or whatever. You can't yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when, yeah, you yeah. Said, when you said that, I could, I could fully relate. I, I just know what sounds good to my ear. And I think that's a beautiful thing because that, that way you, you think outside the box and you, you get your own take on music. Right. So, so Bill really wanted to, to go with that. 
So uh, if he heard a, like a weird harmony or like a jazzy harmony <laughs> coming from me, and I don't even listen to jazz, so he's like, oh, he's doing that. Cool. You know, so it's one of those things. Right on. Well, when we go to the line with our hands held tight, no, we're not going anywhere. The whole feel here changes of the guitars. The stereo guitars go to a staccato feel, and one guitar is like panned off left. It's kind of doing like a counter melody rhythm that's happening there on the back half yep. of this chorus. Again, something just a little different that, that just takes you someplace else that's great. Yeah, I think uh, that's due to the fact that we were listening a lot to the band, you, you know, The Living End. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we love The Living End. Uh, so they were doing all these like, that kind of stuff where like one guitar is playing through and the other one's kind of doing that. So I think I have a feeling we kind of like took it from there. I don't remember who brought it in. Well, it, it would have worked with the same strumming pattern for the first half of the chorus. It would have been just fine. But the fact that it, and it's not, you know, crazily different. You know what? It, you're kind of refreshing my memory here. I think Guy came up with it. Because he, he always he always likes to do something different uh, than, I mean, they both like to do something different than what the other is doing. That's, you know, two guitar players. Uh, we don't really, nor, normally in the choruses we double, but here we're, we're not doubling each other. <laughs> yeah, it's so, that, that part, that part is awesome. And, and that leads right into a guitar solo. Back to the super fast punk rock drum beat. It's like a wah pedal uh, guitar solo. It's pretty cool, but it's six bars. It's not like four bars or eight bars. It kind of just, you know, is, is, is a little jarring. And, and, and how did that come into play? I think at that point, it was just like, uh, what do you go for another verse here? Or let's go somewhere else with this. Because uh, as you probably noticed, there's not that many lyrics in this song. It's more mm -hmm. about like the, the general feel of the song and the message kind of like a less is more type of thing where we're not saying much but we're saying enough for you to get the message across so at this point i think since in the record before this there weren't many solos since that was kind of like our weezer phase <laughs> 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 listening to a lot of pinkerton and trying moog stuff so this one we were like okay let's let's do some guitar solos this time and we had this drummer that's on this record that he came from like a metal background he just did this album with us so he was like doing all these like meta metal fills and like coming from that world so we're like all right so solos why not oh now well the the, the drums on this song are incredible they're awesome all the parts as i've said numerous times i think the drums are, are incredible the groove is is just from each part it's its own thing it doesn't get stale at all and one more thing to mention you know this guitar solo yeah it's featured you know the wah, the wah effect on the guitar it's it's a featured part it's pretty loud but the stereo guitars are still kicking your butt and the octaves yeah. are here kind of panned off right too it's, it's it's really cool wow i uh you're you're completely refreshing my memory and i should have done my homework with listening to this song again <laughs> no I, that's what i always tell people i'll do all the heavy lifting all you gotta do is sit here and talk to me about it <laughs> yeah wow so i i think that was just us getting creative like you know guy was with jason ishai was uh with andrew at some point recording guitars and uh yeah they they just kind of did their own thing and I was, I was just going along with it. I definitely wasn't playing producer on this album, even though I do produce, but I kind of like, you know, first time at the Blasting Room and the, the first time we were getting produced. So it's like, I wanted to, 
just let it happen. That's awesome. Well, coming out of that guitar solo, we get into pre-chorus three. When we all know the answers, one question remains. How did we end up this way? Which again, I'll say, this is like a chorus. This happens three times. It's a, <laughs> it, it, it's a featured part because the lyric is awesome and it's so catchy. Again, the lyric is, when we all know the answers, one question remains. How did we end up this way? We get the harmonies on that last line again. And then that drum part again, cracka cracka comes in to lead us into chorus number two. chorus is the same as chorus one, which I like that about this. I like that you didn't differentiate here because you only get two choruses. This song is so anthemic. And I feel like if you would have stuck in a bunch of other words there, it wouldn't have the immediacy that this track has. That's like another one of those things where some songs need that different lyric, but uh, some of them uh, are powerful enough uh, by singing at the same time. Once again, the whole anthemic thing you you don't you don't want your uh, <laughs> you don't want your people to to need another set of lyrics that they'll have to remember if if that's your chorus. Right. I think so. I mean, I I would like to continue singing and not have someone look at me. Uh, what what are you what are you singing now? You're singing the wrong lyric here, dude. Like you know, at a live show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've I've done that before where we, you know, we want to be fancy and change up the third chorus. And you look out and the kid's still singing chorus too. It's like, ah. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you probably should have kept one of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm calling this next part a bridge slash musical interlude. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a bridge. It's a bridge that's late in the game in the song because the only thing that comes after this is the outro, but this bridge is really cool. You're getting doubles on the snare drum. It's eight bars of stereo guitars doing an ascending riff. Again, this riff is just driving uh, with a single guitar providing a counter melody kind of noodle. Bars nine through 16, there's these lush oh backing vocals that come out. I call them lush there because they're just loud and they just sound so pristine. It just kind of gives this, I don't even know what word I'd use, like an angelic feeling. <laughs> just kind of, yeah. it's it's awesome. Bars 12 through 16, there's this big drum buildup that leads into the outro. It happens again Like it happened before It happens again. 
like it happened before. It happens again, no more. It happens again, like it happened before. It happens again, no more. That's how it is uh, being a citizen of Israel. These uh, things keep happening. I don't know who's behind it. Like, you know, you get certain uh, ideas from the media, who did this and who that, but I, I never know. You never know. But um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, one of those things. Well, there's harmonies on pretty much everything here, and the harmonies are just killer. And I say pretty much everything here. There Again, there's like one or two words here that, that are unison, but it's pretty much all harmonies. On the word again in particular here on line two and line four, it's like, did Bill come up with that harmony? It sounds like a crazy Descendants, weird, jazzy harmony. It is so good. It again, no. I'll tell you the the thing with that. I I don't think we were aware of it, but I I could actually sing that part an octave higher. Which, okay, which is what I do live because it's super low. So I think the lead vocal is super low, and then you got that jazzy harmony. So yeah, that that's a bill thing for sure. On the words, no more. On the two and four. The, the the harmonies there are just absolutely killer. There's something haunting about these harmonies that take you out at the end of the song that you don't hear in the rest of the song. I'm sure you did notice because you dissected the song, but the backing track is kind of like still giving a wink back to the beginning, just very much slower. It's the same chords underneath. Yes. Well, some of the same chords underneath it, at least the beginning. But yeah, as far as the harmony goes, that's, uh, that's Bill's doing. He kind of uh, constructed that part for us. It's so great. Well, the whole uh, ending part here, this outro, it's kind of a halftime mosh feel. It's like the mosh part, big crash cymbal happening. The stereo guitars and bass guitar go to a staccato feel again with that octave guitar. And then after the vocals stop, this is really strange. And I I, I counted this like five times. You yeah, know where I'm know going it. here with this. Okay. Yep, yep. It's like seven and a half bars because like in the middle of it, there's this crazy turnaround that happens. It's not quite eight bars. How did that happen? It's, it's great. Well, if uh, memory serves correct, I, I think it was our drummer that was with us. He was, was going to say it's very metal. Yeah, he, he was uh, <laughs> trying to put in all these like uh, metal influenced ideas, you know, kind of like uh, flipping the beat or flipping the rhythm or coming in at the wrong. I mean, I do that too, but not in this sense. I, it, from listening to it, it's not, it doesn't sound like something I would do. And I'd be fairly surprised if on the demo I did it. Maybe I did, but I have a feeling it's his doing. It is awesome. And then the whole band's rocking out here, stereo guitars, bass, octaves, and drums, and the whole band ends on dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, once again, the metal uh, influence survives and uh, uh, has a victory at the end of the song. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it, it is awesome. And I got to ask you, when you play this in Israel, it's like a rallying cry. Do the fans just go nuts? Yeah, they do. That uh, That's the song that has been closing our set since 2005. We've tried a few times to open with it and like place it differently in our set, but it kind of like, you know, people are expected to be the last song. I think every band has that one song that they're like, uh, you know, you go off stage and everyone's like shouting that one. 
And, yeah. And then you and, don't do it. And then you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny how you try to be artsy, you know, later on in your career. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll start off the setter. Hey, you know, let's be different. Let's throw it in the middle of the set. And then at some point, you just you just throw your hands up and go, okay, we're playing the darn song at the end of the set every time. Let's just accept it. I'll tell you what it turned into. It turned into that one song where someone from the crowd joins us on bass. And, and I just, I'm just, just with the mic and, you know stage diving into the crowd or something like that, or just jumping. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate you sitting down with us today. This song is awesome. Congratulations on all your continued success. And if there's anything you'd like to leave the listeners with, this would be the time to do it. First of all, thank you so much, Chris and Chris, uh, for having me. I really enjoyed this. I have a new album out now called Young Forever on Double Helix Records. And uh, Useless ID has some stuff on the way as well. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that episode with my old friend, Yo Tom. What you were just hearing is the title track from Yo Tom's solo album, Young Forever, and the song even features past Krista Makes a Podcast guest Jim Adkins of Jimmy World. Pretty cool. Hey, we got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We got lots more Krista Makes a Podcast coming after these quick words from our sponsors. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey, if you need a unique, thoughtful, and inexpensive gift for a friend or loved one, check out iloveenamelpins.com. Make someone's day by giving them a little present to show you care. Over 80 different pins are available, everything from cats and dogs to your favorite celebrities. And to top it off, you can use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout to save 30% on your order. iloveenamelpins.com. Give them something to wear that shows that you care. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's feature artist is Pep Talk, a pop punk band from New York whose sound is heavily reminiscent of 90s era Lookout Records. You can find them online at Linktree slash Pep Talk Punk. Here's a snippet of their song, Next to Me. Here she comes making a The 
Chris and Chris. Chris, I was super excited for this episode. I am such an enormous fan of this band. I became a fan of this band because we toured together in Japan. And we just came home from that tour being like, oh my God, this band is amazing. And this album is amazing. And it wasn't until years later that I realized, oh, they did this at the Blasting Room with Bill, which totally makes sense because it sounds incredible. Yeah, no, even when we got done recording, I was just like, man, I, you know, I don't just say this in the episode to, you know, make my guests feel good. I told Yotam, this song is a ripper, such a such a great track. And, and the lyric, you know, it, it, it really, really drives it home. Yeah. I mean, this album is full of pop gems is the way I would put it. They're songs that I love, just amazing melodies, great lyrics, such a great live band. I can't, I know I'm going overboard, but I can't say enough great things about this band. This song is kind of the outlier. This is like a heavy rockin', you kept saying like, it pummels you, it knocks you over type of song that they close their sets with. And I thought it was even more interesting to hear his perspective of, you know, what it was about. That's when, when Yotam and I were going back and forth about what song they should do. I was glad I didn't really want to suggest it. Cause I didn't know if he wanted to talk about it, but I was, mm-hmm. I was really happy when he said he wanted to talk about it. Cause I think it's important for people to hear about that. I, I do too. And that's why I had asked him, I said, you know, what are the fans? This has to be like their rallying cry. It's like, Oh yeah. And that's why it's, you know, played at every show since the song was released and it's played last because this is, this is their hit. And I, I, I said, I mentioned to him that the song just wouldn't be the same with just some run-of-the-mill lyric. The no. song's great. The melodies are great, but it's the lyric, and I got to hand it to the drummer. It was interesting. The drummer uh, only played on this record, but he brought that metal influence, just the just the flourishes and the way that uh, he approached the song and how you know it had that seven-and-a-half-bar turnaround at the end, which is a very metal thing. It's, it's great. Yeah. I thought it was cool that you talked about the same world problems that just never go away. I mean, they've been here before we were here. Unfortunately, I think they're going to be here after we're here. I hope I'm wrong about that, but unfortunately, I'm probably not. You're talking about religion and greed and politics and, and everything that goes on. When if you step away from that stuff, you realize that we're all kind of the same. I mean, to me, this is the most common sense. And to me, this is also one of the things about punk rock that make me like it so much, the community aspect of it, that you're in this room and when you're in this room, it doesn't matter where you're from or what your background is. We're all the same and and we're in this together. And I think the world could learn a lot from the world of punk rock. Absolutely. I, I said it was both heartbreaking and heartwarming that, you know, fans right across the border will write the band and be fans of them and say that we love you. And we, we, we hate all of this too. You know, we're, we're, we're all one human race here and it's just, uh, you know, when he, he spoke of the, the super fan of the band that yeah. was used to be in the front row and, and she loses her life in, in, in a bus bombing. That's just, uh, I, I can't even fathom that. And I think it's a cool thing that Fat Mike, you know, uh, went out on the limb and said, hey, why don't you write about this? Right. You know, because they could have been like, no, nah, we're not that kind of a band. But they they took the chance and it paid off because I think the lyric is so real. I mean, even if you don't live in that state of fear or, or, or are from there, you can relate to this on some level, certainly as a punk rock fan. Yeah. And something, I mean, on a more lighthearted thing I related to is how Yotam talked about how he probably wouldn't have written it 
in this arrangement if he wrote it now. He's become more seasoned of a songwriter and you kind of learn more about the art of songwriting. But when you're younger... There, there is something charming about being a raw, young, unseasoned songwriter. Chris, you know it firsthand. Some of your early songs from Less Than Jake are still fan favorites, and I guarantee that you wouldn't write them the same way now that you did back then. No, there's something about that uh, that thing, that, you, that, that idea that you throw out there. You don't let it cook for too long. We didn't have money to. It's like, here's the song, record yeah. it, go. We're on to the next song. And, you know, those initial ideas are sometimes sometimes the best thing you can come up with. The other thing, Chris, that I love that, that he talked about was being whipped into shape by Bill yeah. in the studio. I could totally relate to that. And I... I can't say that I liked it at first. The first time I was I was beaten down in the studio, but I grew to love it because it, it it's made it so much more effortless for me to get in the vocal booth th- these days. It it's it's not a nightmare that it once was. I didn't know what I was getting into the first time we worked with an actual producer because we had recorded yeah. with engineers, but it's a whole different ball game when you're working with a producer, when you're deconstructing the songs and putting them back together and that can A, be intimidating, and B, sometimes be frustrating, but I haven't had one time where I haven't walked away learning something as my bandmates did too, you know? That's right. And if you, the listeners, want to learn something, you could join our supporting cast over at ChrisToMakes.com where you get bonus episodes of The After Party each week for the price of a cup of coffee, Chris. I set you up, and I was hoping you were going <laughs> to... I threw you that softball pitch. I hope I was hoping you were going to knock it out of the park. And you did, because if not, I was going to do it. But yes, if you like to learn and you like to laugh and you just enjoy the company of Chris and I talking about music, the After Party Podcast is for you. Go to ChrisDemakes.com. There's a giant back catalog of episodes. You can listen to episodes every day for months and months before you'll get caught up and you'll have fun the entire time you do, because that is our intention with that is to have some fun and give you some knowledge. The After Party Podcast. If And there are a few episodes that we've put in the main feed. So if you want to see a little sample of what we do on The After Party, you can check those out. And then you can go right to ChrisDemakes.com. And for the cost of, I don't know, a beer, <laughs> you, you can have a bunch of awesome episodes and support the podcast that you love. And thanks, Chris. You didn't throw me a, a softball. You lobbed me the Goodyear blimp, yeah. and I tried to hit it out of the park as best as best as I could. And if you haven't joined our Facebook group, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group, please do. It's free to join. We love to have you. Tons of interaction. It's good times. Give me a follow on Instagram at less than Christy. And I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Yotam Ben Horan from Useless ID. And we'll see you next week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. 
On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>